So as you, as you had an opportunity to just kind of read through that chapter, um, pretty amazing, right? Pretty miraculous. I love the vintage church. I love the early believers and what that looked like for them as they've, they didn't, they, what, they didn't have a whole lot uh, to follow other than Jesus, who had essentially at this point ascended back to heaven. So like every, and they didn't have a teaching series at their local church uh, called the Vintage Church because they were the Vintage Church. Um, they didn't have a whole lot to be led by. Um, I mean, even the, the Torah and even the Jewish traditions that were all God, were all representation of His Word. Um, even then, they, a lot of what they were doing was kind of unlearning what they had applied to the original teaching of God's Word, if that makes any sense. So there's so much that they, they had to like be led by, by faith. They had to be led by something that they couldn't necessarily uh, see or grasp. And what we try to do sometimes in our faith, the, uh, the modern church or the modern day Christian, is sometimes we want to follow things and base our, 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 our level of holiness or base our level of growth based on lots of things that we can see. Lots of things that we can attain. And they certainly did, they tried to do the same thing there. Um, that, that was kind of the Jewish, Jewish tradition. So much of it was about what you could see, what you could be, could be measured by of how spiritual you are. And it's, it's no different for us now. Um, sometimes the, the temptation for us is to measure our lives based on what we've done or base our life on, or our spirituality based on what we've not done. And this creeps into the church. And this creeps into our interpretation of the Word of God. And this creeps into, unfortunately, most unfortunately, this creeps into how we judge one another. By what they've done or what they've not done. How they've missed the mark, or how they've kind of sort of hit the mark. Ultimately, identifying out loud that we, we have hit the bullseye. It's like, what is the bullseye? What is the point? What is the, the thing that we are aiming at? What's well, the same for them as it is for us. And that is Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus Christ. Um, th that's no new news. But yet, this is so hard uh, to maybe live. It may be even harder to live. It's harder to teach. Part of what's amazing about church is that coming together and being reminded of the gospel, like that's, that's kind of the point of coming in. Um, that's kind of the necessity of growing and believing as we walk with one another is being reminded of the gospel. Now, these early Christians, they <laughs> go back just a page, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is where we started. This is where we, we launched from. And this is before Jesus had ascended. Um, in verse 8 it says, um, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. 
Alright, so he's giving them a glimpse of like, this is what you're going to do and how it will spread to the whole world. And here we go. Chapter 2. You just read it. The first part of that talks about how it's doing that. They got a glimpse of the power that came upon them by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and He filled them. And He came with authority. And He came with power. And He used and He displayed that power in that moment, that day, by speaking to the world, essentially, uh, representations of, the, of people that lived all over the world um, that spoke many different languages. And He spoke through them, but yet they were hearing it in their own language. And so for that day, that moment, the tongues that God used for those leaders to speak, to preach, to teach the Word of God, to remind them about what it's all about, was through that miraculous sign. And so, again, God fulfilled His promise. God did what He said He was going to do. And if you look at, like, if, if we're at the end of chapter 2, and we're going through the book of Acts, and we're going to be bouncing all around the New Testament, I want to just challenge you guys to see this, that that this is not an opportunity for us to point out like one small thing or one like new thing. God's always, always prefacing it, um, prophesying it, proclaiming it beforehand, promising it. It's probably the better word. God always, always keeps his promise. He, I mean, he did it from the beginning. From Adam and Eve the fall, to the flood, to the Tower of Babel we learned last week, and on and on through men like Abraham and Moses, David, and the like the prophets. Like that was the, that was the whole point of the prophets. That like, hey, guess what? The Messiah is coming, and this is what it's going to look like, and this is what it's going to be like. The whole thing. And every bit of the way, it was a proclamation of how that prophecy or that promise was fulfilled. And here Jesus is in chapter 1 saying the exact same thing. There's going to be power come on you guys. And you're going to be my witnesses to the whole world. And there we are, chapter later. The power came. The authority came. And they were the witnesses in that moment, on that day, to the entire world. But like you do and like I do, like sometimes we'll take the parts of, of what God has asked us to do and we'll, we'll think that it's just accomplished in a day. Like God wants us to be uh, forgiving, right? And we forgive somebody that, like that day and we think we're good, right? Like, oh, we're set. I forgave them. We're set. Like I, I did my work. And, and that was maybe kind of the, the, the temptation for these early leaders, was like, yep, here we are, guys. They were back in the green room. They are like, yes, guys, you see that? We just, but we, just, we just, by the power of God, spoke to the whole world. We were witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Guys, literally, we know this happened because it says it, like, all these places were represented that day. But that was as miraculous as that was, as amazing as that was, um, <laughs> that wasn't fully what God was talking about. And God did that. And as you read, it's one of the most miraculous, amazing things. And at the end of the chapter, you see how miraculous it was. They got to see what the ultimate like, moment, when God moves, and He does move. Amen? Are you with me on that? Is this thing on? 
God moves, right? When he moves, he moves. And so do people. And even that day, 3,000 came to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They came to that understanding. But understand that this was the initial, I think it was Pastor Cameron that, Cameron that used this analogy recently, and maybe last week, or maybe it was my imagination. Uh, it was about like how a, a, a rocket, I think, or a bomb hits, and then there's all these other ripple effects. These, there's better words for this, but there's this effect because of it. Well, this moment was that bomb, so to speak, that went off. And the implications and the, the effects, the ripple effects of this day has carried through to today. I wish we had time. There's actually a pretty amazing um, uh, short video. Maybe I'll show it some week because it plays into the context of everything that we're learning about this early church and how we got to be in Jamestown, New York, how, how Conduit Church became... Um, a church. And this video outlines how this moment led to how months and weeks and years later in the lives that God used for these churches to be established, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea and Samaria and like the whole region around Israel, but literally to the uttermost parts of the world. And this describes like, like even to the first century and the second and third and fourth and even down, down through like the 20 or the 20th century and how like what happened when, um, how the gospel came to the Americas and how uh, that spread from one thing to another and how established, established churches all over the place. Like it, I, I showed my wife and she was kind of like, ah, like she was bored I think just because it was like a lot of like dates and facts and things that like maybe like so I get it and I probably won't maybe I won't show it but to me it's fascinating just because and just because it's so neat that we're connected we're the effect of the church that happened and those people that God used to change the world he did it he promised it he followed through with it now is God ultimately in this moment like as he's starting the organization the organism of the church. Is, is that what he's about? I mean, is he just about the organization? Like, is this, are you here to serve the purposes of the church? Or is the church here to serve the purposes of sharing the gospel and on being on mission to the world? You see, we got it so flip-flopped in the American church, especially. This idea of America first, or this idea of the church first, or the, this idea of all of our perspectives about, it's about these walls and about what we can do in here to be protected from what's out there. When ultimately God has come to redeem us and to gather us, to fire us up, to be able to go to live on mission to a place that's dangerous, to a place that's forbidden for us to even go that it may even cost our life as it did for those guys. Now, okay, so if God's not about the organization, what's he about? He's about you. He's about us. He's about them. So how did he use this organization, the church, 
How is he using this to reach them? Is he doing it through these early disciples, these early apostles, these, these Christians like you and me, like us being completely polished, put together, and so like we got it all figured out? Like, that, is that what he's doing? Right? No? Like, I, and I can identify with this today. Like, you ever have those days that you, you just got, like, it all together and you totally planned out and you're, like, everything's clear and you just, you're awake and you're, like, you got it all together. You ever have those days? <laughs> yeah, me neither. Today is not one of those days. Today's not one of those days. You're like, all right, uh, car's a little bit, I'm thankful it did actually start today, but just the, like the metaphor of, wow, you just feel like today's going to be tough. Um, today feels like that. And it's a reminder of even where we're going today. That God isn't using our polished lives and how much we think we have it together. God is redeeming you and he's using your story, no matter how dark or how light you think it was, he's using that story to redeem the world. And the person he wants to redeem before the world is you. He's, he's so passionate about you. And some of us, we come into a room like this, or we come into to church, and maybe some of you were even hesitant to come today based on how you felt. Now, I don't mean like physically like sick. I mean like how you felt in your soul. The darkness that you felt because of what was said or done or what you did um, that made you feel separated from a place like this. And you need to know that I'm glad you came and that because you came to a place like this, it is our obligation, it's our responsibility, and it's our privilege to tell you the truth. And the truth is, is that Jesus came to save you. And he came to save us. And he came to save the world. And that whoever calls on the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. And we see that today through a man named Peter, who ultimately <laughs> did not have it together. I was doing study this week on Peter specifically because this is we're basically marching through his sermon. Um, <laughs> I love like I, I didn't I didn't I didn't grow up Catholic and I and I and I but I'm constantly fascinated by the perspectives of past popes um, and ultimately their perspective of Peter. And 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 park that for a second. I just this specifically Peter in my study of Peter like. How they like have ele they've elevated him to this point of like, like he's got it all together. When the whole point of God using Peter was that he chose him because he didn't have it together. If you read the word and everything about Peter is so like he missed the boat, he jumped out of the boat. Like he he completely every opportunity that was for like. For somebody to like get it, like, bro, you've been hanging out with Jesus all day. We've been hanging out with him for years. Like, this is your moment, bud. You're going to get it. And then he completely, completely strikes out. Like, I can totally identify with that. How many of you have, 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 have learned about Peter or read the word and thought to yourself, wow, I'm just like him? Can you identify with that? I'm, I'm really curious. Raise your hand if you've ever thought that. 
Okay, a lot of you. It's so good because you, you see what, like, there, there's this part about him that he, he misses it constantly, but yet God, choose, like, he doesn't, like, call him out. Well, he did call him Satan, I guess, once. Um, but he calls him out to redeem what he did. And, and you're like, well, is God using him as, did Jesus use him as an example? You bet he did. Yeah. Because that's the gospel. And like you, as a redeemed person, you, like in your story, in your testimony, the darkness that you've, you've lived in, <laughs> he wants to redeem that and make an example of you. Not to bring you in front of the church and just say, hey, here's all I did. Look how bad you should feel. No, he wants to bring you essentially, metaphorically, in front of the church to say, look how bad I was, but look how good God is in me. And that's the picture of the gospel. And that's what it is about when it comes to Peter. Let's start to dive in and you'll start to see just a little bit of like the, the, the personality of Peter. How God gave, them, gave him the ultimate taste of power and authority that he had promised in Acts 1, verses 8. So as you just read, um, the Holy Spirit came on them and used them to speak to different languages all over the world. And in verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, uh, Pastor Cameron at Conduit North last night pointed out the fact that <laughs> these, this, like, he was... Peter was just scared to death of this crowd to the point of like running and hiding and not being a part of being bold at all. Like he was, if there's a word for the opposite of bold, that was Peter. In fact, rewind a little bit before that. Why is what, one of the most famous things that, that Peter is known for? Again, he completely uh, denying Christ. Jesus was arrested. No, let's even back up before that. Jesus was getting ready to get a, be arrested. And Jesus, like, they're in the garden. And they, here they comes the soldiers. And here comes, like, Judas all, like, all cool comes over. And he betrays Jesus. And then they, they grab Jesus and arrest him. And what does Peter do? He just had been walking with Jesus for three years about how, like, it's not about fighting. And it's not about packing. And it's not about your own life. It's about the ultimate kingdom of God in us. And, like, this whole thing about nonviolence, right? And... Peter takes out his sword and he cuts off the soldier's ear. Like, are you kidding me? Like, how do you teach this to your kids without, like, teaching this, this perspective? Like, of course, Jesus didn't fight back because this was a part of God's plan. And he ultimately knew that. But how does Peter, like, in the moment, he's so reactive. He grabs his sword and he starts swinging at this soldier. It cuts his ear off and Jesus reaches down and he puts his ear back on and fixes it. And even Peter's like, wait a minute. What are you doing? Like, I just cut it off. Man, and he's like, those that live by the sword die by the sword. But that's Peter. That's who he is. That's like what he's about. He like just jumps all in. Go back before that. Like this, they're having this, this talk about church. Peter. And, and, and God, Jesus, with God with skin, Jesus calls out Peter. And he talks about how Peter is the rock by which he will build his church. And there's so much like metaphor and meaning in that. He's not just saying Peter is the ultimate rock. He's talking about what Peter had just addressed. But he's going after the fact that Peter was the first one to speak. Like he was the kid in the class. The first one to raise his hands. And usually had the answer wrong. <laughs> like 
that was always me. Like, okay, I've got the enthusiasm, but I don't necessarily have the right answer. That was Peter. Peter was the first to jump in. Let's go back. Before that, before that, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. This miraculous thing is taking place. And Peter, like, it wasn't even this moment of like, are you serious? Jesus is walking on the water. Like, he didn't even take that moment. He's like, hey, I want to try, I want to try, I want to try. Like, that was his, his response. It's like if, you're, if you have kids, like, and immediately when they get a new toy, like, then you have three seconds and all the rest of the siblings are like, let me try, let me try, I want to try. Hey, well, let me try, let me try. Like, that was Peter. That was Peter. I want to try. And he did. And he got out of the boat. And he trusted. And he had full faith for a moment. Right? And he began to sink. And Jesus made an example of him. <laughs> if you think about this guy who's getting ready to preach this sermon, the most important sermon and words he'll ever speak in his life, in this moment, to these Jews, to these leaders of the church, these people that represent the Jewish faith, to, at that moment, the world. In Jerusalem. And he had that boldness. In his mind, listen to me, he remembered all those mistakes. And he remembered days before that saying, I don't know Jesus. I don't know. You know, he remembered that. And as I stand here today in my life, like, golly, if, um, like, I remember all the horrible things that I've done. That makes me embarrassed to stand here. Um, But I have two choices. And so do you. There's that choice to like remember. Because you maybe like forget some things, but you you remember, right? Um, Jesus talks a lot about forgiving. Doesn't talk a whole lot about forgetting, and I think here's why. He wants us, I don't want to say it that way. I stand here today remembering all that I've done. And I could stand here today feeling condemned and embarrassed and unredeemed. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll make it a word. Unredeemed. And it could make me shrink and sit down or not even come in the doors. And not live my life as a shining light. And not love my wife like I should. And not lead my boys and my girls the way I should. And not be a good neighbor. And not be a good citizen. And be a lazy worker. Like that, that, that's my choice. I could do that. Because of what I know I did. That's what we call lost. Or, I could stand firm as Peter did and fully remember every wicked thing that I've done. The same memory. The same acts. The same wretched darkness. And I could stand here in the boldness and the faith And my Savior who redeemed me. And I can proclaim to you 
not look how great I am, but look how great He is. And I can recollect to you all the mistakes that I've made and hopefully I don't make again, but yet I'm prone to do that because I live in my flesh way too often. But I can still live in the Spirit and I can still stand here with bold confidence and all humility that it's not about me and I can live out the Gospel filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaim to you the absolute truth that I am saved holy and forgiven and redeemed because of Him and not because of me. That's the Gospel. And that's what Peter is choosing to do. He is standing firm in his faith in what Jesus did. Not standing firm in his faith in how good he's going to be from now on. And so many of us, guys, we come in here and we begin to like, walk this Christian walk and like try to read our Bible more and try to do better and try to be good and all those things are an, an overflow, an absolute overflow of your intimacy with God. I'm not taking away from that at all. And there is a place for that and we're going to get to that moment in just a, just a moment. But in order to come to Jesus, you have to recognize that you can be redeemed. You have to know the truth that you can be forgiven. If Peter can... <laughs> I promise you, you can. If I can, I double promise you that you can. And so I guess my, my, my point here is that when we look at these guys talking about eternal life, and we look at this early church, these guys, they were broken, just like you and me. But when they were redeemed, and they came to Jesus, and they were filled with the Spirit, it changed everything. It changed everything. And I want you to be encouraged by that. I don't want you ever to have that thought. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't go to church. I, I can't, I can't face my, my husband. I can't face my, I can't teach my kids the Bible. I, I can't tell my, my brother about what Jesus did for him. Nonsense. Your mistakes, <laughs> arguably, presents a clearer gospel than you trying to hide your mistakes. Own it. Own it. Actually, you don't have to own it. He owned it. Whatever you did, whatever you think you did, and that wretched darkness that you feel because of what you did <laughs> he claimed that and not just like the white lies and the stealing candy kind of thing Jesus claimed your sin every part of it sin that you'd be embarrassed to talk about Jesus said I did it I'll take the spankings for it I'll take the punishment for it Peter, broken, a broken man redeemed, choosing to know his mistakes and yet standing firm in the gospel proclaiming says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And I think at this moment as these guys are hearing Peter speak, they don't see the old man. And I think at this point, 
they're not seeing his mistakes. They, they know about it. They know, like, hey, guys, isn't this the guy that denied knowing Jesus? Like, like, they're talking to each other, and, like, he's proclaiming with boldness. His newness of life is so evident, and he's saying for these people that just, you just saw miraculous sign, these people are not drunk, as you said they were, as you suppose. Since it is only the, not the third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m., He's making the case that these guys are not drunk because it's nine in the morning. I'm going to leave that joke out. Um, but this is what uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. It's in the Word. And he begins to echo what he says. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Notice he said sons and daughters. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Notice he says young and old. Even my male servants and female servants. Notice he says servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, like, I hate that we live in a day that we have to point this out. But every part of chapter 1, 2, to the end of this book, from cover to cover, the entire thing is about all people. I hate that we got to point this out. But sons and daughters, that's male and female, can be used of God. That's young and old, that's all ages, can be used of God and be used as a, as a, as a, a, a mouthpiece for what the Lord has to say. He's calling this out. Like, he didn't just say in, in Acts 1.8, and you're going to be my witnesses to some of the world. He covered every part of the world. Every single part. Every single city. Every single village. Every single home. Every single community. You will be my witnesses to. Male, female. Young, old. Not only will you be my witnesses to them, but you will be used of me to proclaim that. Um, if you get nothing out of the, the, this entire thing, I just this is the point I want to drive home, is that anybody can be used of God. I battled with this uh, at least... For a couple years, uh, and I was uh, 19 when I felt the Lord was calling me into um, some type of pastoral ministry. Um, needless to say, I was not living like a pastor <laughs> or uh, like anything that resembled ministry. I was selfish, consumed with what I thought, um, consumed with. Uh, Everything that had anything to do with leadership. 
And I was even, conf- like, when I said, like, hey, guys, uh, close family and friends, like, may- maybe everybody, with the exception of my mom, uh, was like, what? You're going to what? Are you serious? And, like, that, that really confirmed, affirmed in my mind what I had already been struggling with. Have you ever had that? Struggling with something, and then somebody says something that completely affirms it, and you walk away thinking, Yep, I am a loser. All right. Uh, you know, like you have this, this confirmation based on what they said. And we have these people in our lives, even people like moms or dads or brothers or spouses or kids or friends or bosses, people that are supposed to be speaking into you that what they say has everything to do to reverse that and affirm who you think you are, but you're truly not. Hear me loud and clear. The truth is, I don't even need to like try to explain it anymore. The truth is via Peter. The truth is via this entire book. The truth is by my life, the person that you're hearing right now, God can use anybody. God will use anybody. Anybody. Are you willing? Uh, Two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, there was someone that showed up at my house on a Sunday afternoon, and they, um, oh, eight minutes? Come on. All right. <laughs> I'm like halfway through. Um, they showed up at my house, and, 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 and like the, the conversation moved from a couple different rooms, and, and we were talking, and, and it, somehow we ended up in the kitchen, and I pointed out to uh, this, this big crab apple tree, which I hate in my yard. Like, it drives me crazy every year, but then at this moment I realized, okay, that, okay, Lord, that's why you put that. Okay, I got you now. Because I pointed out, um, and I said, hey, you see that tree? Because this, this person was struggling with of, like, being used of God. And, and like, uh, I think the exact words that, that she used was um, damaged goods. Um, and I pointed to the tree and I said, hey, what does that tree need to do in order to produce fruit? What does that tree need to do in order to produce um, crab apples? And, and she... She puzzled, and, and she's looking at this tree, and she's like, well, it needs to grow. And I'm like, what else? And I was like, no, it, it doesn't actually need to grow. Um, what does the tree need to do in order to produce fruit? Well, it needs rain. It needs to drink. Well, no. And so I, I was, like, not trying to make, I was not, like, trying to act, like, smart and, um, or anything like that. I just pointed out the fact that, like, this tree needs to do absolutely nothing to produce fruit. It needs to be an apple tree. The environment that it's in provides what happens with this tree. Now, ultimately, God's calling us to do things, but not for our salvation. He's calling you to believe. He's calling you to receive salvation so that then you can produce fruit. And the environment that you're in, the environment that is feeding into you, has everything to do with the health of who you are. But that tree in and of itself, to be a tree, a fruit tree, needs to do nothing. In the same way that we need nothing to be saved. Like when we're saved, God's beginning to use us immediately because he saved you. Like that proclaims automatically that anybody can be saved. And I'm sure that you could stand here and say the same thing about your life. That if God can save me, he can save anybody. Skip down to verse 29. Uh, At this point, Peter had 
uh, use the example of, of David in the Old Testament and his life and how the Jews literally saw David as, as like not just king, but legend. And some even believe that he was the Messiah that came. And so there's all this confusion, but he uses the example of even David to drive home this point. It says in verse 31, it says, For he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that it was not, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus raised up. This Jesus raised up. And of all that we are all witnesses, be therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all this house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. One of the most bold things that he ever says in his entire life. He calls out the entire Jewish council. He calls out the entire establishment and leadership. And he's like, this Jesus was God. The ones that you crucified. The one that you crucified. He calls them out. This is your fault. But then he goes further and he says one of the most bold things. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our words that cut to the heart. It's God in our words, Him giving us the words that cut to the heart. And as it did for them that day, they had, He had their attention. And He said to Peter, and they said to Peter and the apostles, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do now? Because they recognized that they killed the Messiah. They recognized what Peter was saying was true. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. See, Peter knew something. He knew something that the Jews knew as well. He knew that God was holy. God was without sin. That there is no way for us to be redeemed on our own, no matter how hard we worked. And even for the Jews, the whole practice of Jewish culture, the whole practice of the Jewish religion, even to this day, they're still looking over the hill for the one Messiah that's going to come and ultimately be the, 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 the once-for-all sacrifice. And you and I as Christians believe that that once-for-all sacrifice came in Jesus. 
And we believe that our, faith, our, our eternal life comes from faith in Jesus. That's the whole basis of our walk. It's the whole basis of our faith. And when they were pointing out that God is holy, when He says repent... Like, I wouldn't necessarily think that it's effective for us to just go around yelling the words repent. However, when we live our lives unto Jesus, our lives should be a reflection that we have repented. That we have been baptized. And it's not just about our lives. It's not just about friendship evangelism, which was pointed out, Pastor Cameron said last night, friendship evangelism can be one of the most dangerous things. Because we can live our entire lives being an awesome coworker, living the light of Christ, loving them like Jesus, leading them like Jesus, but never proclaim the absolute truth that you need Jesus to repent and be baptized. Turn from your ways and come to Jesus. That was his message then. And it's no different now. There has to be this moment where we recognize that God is holy. And that our sin has separated us from Him. Your sin and my sin. But the amazing news is that He came to redeem us. He came to save us. He came so that we can stand firm in this moment, in our lives, and that you can even recollect what you've done horrible. What you've done to separate yourselves from a holy God. And rather than to condemn yourself, See the light of the Word of God that redeems you to stand firm and proclaim that you are redeemed, that you are holy because of what He's done. 1 John 1 talks about how God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. The whole idea of heaven and hell is not this idea of God not liking some and some doing some the right way and like, and, and a, like a whole uh, sum of good lives and good decisions, and therefore you go there and you go there. That's not what it's about at all. In order for us to be with God for eternity, we have to be holy. So that's why Peter is saying, like, turn from your ways, be completely baptized, be completely um, immersed and consumed with who God is, not who we are. So how do you do that? By faith. How do you receive that? By faith. How do you live that? By faith. It's a recognition of your heart. It's a recognition of your mind and understanding how God is not just mean. God is not mean. He is holy. Darkness and light cannot mix. Light will expel darkness all day long. God's holiness will expel sin all all day long because that's who he is it's his nature it's his character it's his dominating factor love comes because of his holiness and our brokenness and when God's come he's come to save he's come to redeem he's come to bring you from that condemnation to life so my invitation to you this morning choose the life he came to bring this may be for none of you but maybe it's for a couple of you and you've been here many times or you've been here maybe this is your first time and you're like I don't know if I get it like I don't know if I fully grasp what it's like to follow Jesus then then like hear me on this 
Like, there's this prayer that people invite people to begin a relationship with Jesus. They invite them to pray this prayer. And then sometimes people are like, well, it's not just a prayer you pray. Well, that's right. It's a prayer that begins your walk with God. But I want to invite you not just to a prayer. I want to invite you to a radical life change of the filling of the Holy Spirit that God has invited you to, that he has gifted, that he sent for you, for you to receive, for you to be redeemed so that when you wake up, or when you lay down, or when you go throughout your day, you're not consumed by what you've done. You're not consumed by the darkness that you live in. You're consumed by the work of Jesus Christ. He came to work. He came to work. And He came to redeem you. Would you stand?